Okay, our uh, newspaper panel are here with us. Uh, we've got uh, Dermot MacDonald, uh, legal editor of the Irish Independent, uh, Communications, Energy and Natural Resources Minister Alex White, and the uh, Sunday Times columnist uh, Cormac <laughs> Lucy. Uh, Cormac, I might start with you because uh, you you had a spell in the Department of Justice. Conor Brady raises a very good point today in the uh, in this his column in the Sunday Times, saying, "Yeah, okay, the minister has reassured us everything is okay, but actually, you know, we have no way of knowing if that is the case." Well, he does raise an interesting question, uh, and the model he offers is the Westminster model. And I suppose there, there, the security establishment might have two answers to that, or I would have two observations. One is, I'm not quite sure how effective the Westminster system of accountability is. Uh, for me, it has all of the elements of accountability, but I'm not aware of when they've ever really pulled up the British uh, intelligence services and said, you're doing a really bad job, and this person heading this sub-department is responsible. Mm. And secondly... Uh, better something than nothing, though, sure. Perhaps better something than nothing. But then there's another argument, which is uh, the Irish Army Intelligence and Guard Intelligence have spent most of the last four decades combating the provisional IRA, mm. uh, who have allies now in provisional Sinn Féin. They say the IRA has gone away, but we know recently that isn't the case. So are they to be given access to this intelligence? So that that's a very uh, practical constraint that would guide government policy in this matter. They are democratically elected TDs. I mean, the MPs in Britain are given confidential information and they're expected to deal with it in a very sensitive way. And I, I think in the main they do that. Correct, but do you do that with a, a, a party where every public representative stands behind Jerry Adams when he says that he was never a member of the IRA. Mm. Can you do that in good conscience? Uh, Alex White, um, obviously, you know, ju- uh, justice, security, it isn't in your core brief, but you are a member of, of the Cabinet. Is uh, the threat from ISIS, is it something that, that concerns you? Oh, it does absolutely um, concern, think it concerns all of us. I, as a matter of fact, was in Paris this week um, at a meeting of the International Energy Agency. And as it happens, I'm going to Brussels this week. But, you know, uh, apart from the fact that I was there as a minister and an opportunity to go out on the streets in Paris during the week and... You know, there's that, as somebody said on the TV last night, actually about Mali, there was a strange combination of eeriness and almost normality, because in a large city like Paris, of course, people want uh, want to get on with their lives. Um, but, you know, you, it's not possible when you're speaking to Francis Fitzgerald there. I think everybody would accept listening to this program that you, you just can't protect every building and every place and every street. So the complexity of this is 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 obvious. Um, I think you can you, monitor you, people you can very monitor, closely. Absolutely, you can monitor. I think that's what is happening. That's what requires to happen. And I think there requires to be cooperation across Europe, which is what Francis was dealing with on Friday. Um, but you know, this is a threat. It's there's it's an uncertain world now in all of our cities, in all of our countries. I think it's going to be with us for quite some time. I think it's going to be a concern of all governments. It's going to be a concern for the citizens um, of the big cities. And yes, it is a threat. Absolutely. Um, I think the point that uh, Conor Brady was making, which is a very, very valid one, is that we've simply no accountability whatsoever mm. in respect of security and intelligence. And Ireland, because of our history with the Troubles, has quite a unique system, unlike a lot of uh, police forces which actually segregate or separate the day-to-day ordinary policing uh, matters with security and intelligence. We don't have that division. So the point that he makes is that we have to take their word for it. Um, and, and that, as, as citizens, what we're expected to do. Our parliament also, to a large extent, 
government has to take their word for it. Yes, we do have the Garda Commissioner and others coming in to uh, before uh, various different Directors Committees, but they don't get interrogated they don't bite on those issues, on, on do those issues whatsoever. And I think um, that that is important, especially if you read page two, I think it is, of the Sunday Times where citizens might be or may not be surprised to hear that uh, information um, is being shared with the authorities in America. You know, so um, that's, that's kind of interesting, whatever about being part of the Schengen information system or otherwise. And I think that really kind of goes to the heart of it. We're having a huge debate, or we should be rather, about uh, the, the future policing authority and how that body would look. And that authority will not have any um, uh, uh, role in respect of security intelligence. Um, and I think that kind of um, actually matters as an important from a public um, accountability perspective. It's interesting because what we're being told consistently is that we've nothing to worry about it. Sure, we're just, you know, a kind of a neutral country that everyone likes and uh, and we'll be grand. But if you look at the threat of ISIL, the threshold for um, their attacks is so low. You can be bombed uh, or attacked just on the basic of perceived decadence, uh, really, even at this stage, like when you look at the, the justification in part um, for Paris. And it's very, very interesting. There's a very interesting case before the courts at the moment in respect of a gentleman who's been living in Waterford for about uh, 50, 15 years. I don't know if he's still there. Ali Sharaf Dimash. And this is a gentleman who's been sought by the US authorities for um, his alleged uh, role as a devoted jihadist. And the High Court released him earlier this year uh, on the basis of objections to him being um, possibly uh, contained in a particularly uh, notorious super prison, ADX Florence in America. It'd be very interesting. The, uh, the state is appealing that. It's coming back before the Court of Appeal in January. And it would be very interesting to see whether in light of the Paris attacks, they might actually take a different view on it. But you have a very unusual situation where somebody whom the Americans say is a devoted jihadist is wanted in America. He hasn't been tried here uh, by the prosecuting authorities um, and, and he was you know, he was let go earlier this year. And I think it's going to be very, very interesting because what we're consistently told, and I think this is the point that Conor Brady is trying to make, is that we're being told that it's fine and that it's okay and that it's only a small amount of people. I think at a political level there should be probably a little bit more interrogation of that. Yeah, well, Alex White, Labour likes to pride itself on the, yes. you know, the party that... Uh, you know, <coughs> shines a light on things and, uh, you know, tells the public uh, things as they are. I mean, can you Well, we have shone a light on, on the Gardaí because we have, in a good way, because we have introduced now policing authority. So I think some credit should be given for the fact that there will be scrutiny, um, much heightened scrutiny. I know, coming to the security issue in a minute, of the police, because we've never had that in this country. We've never had a policing authority. And I think it's very good that we will now have one. And that will open up trans- uh, the, the opportunity for people to understand how the police operates and how it should operate. On the security issue, Nobody could say, I mean, Conor Brady is a very respected commentator on these issues, but surely nobody is advocating that politicians like me or journalists like you, frankly, would be involved in anything like the day-to-day operational but question of whether, inf- whether in this fairness. or that information should be given or not. But I That's personally... Saying, That's nobody's well, saying, no, well, I know, but let, let me just get to my no, third, of third course, or fourth sentence. Of course, sentence. I, of course I agree it. that there should, and I absolutely think that we should have the maximum amount of scrutiny, of including of security issues, that is consistent with security. That is consistent with security. So if you if you if you break government. down if you well I mean let's you, see you what let's see it. what level of but scrutiny of security let's see let's see let's see what level of security uh, you could have that would be consistent with the kind of scrutiny or let's see what kind of scrutiny I should say would be appropriate to have in our parliament and still maintain security and, and, let's be and clear, what would that let's be? Let's be clear about Northern Ireland. Their policing authority expressly does not have power to look into intelligence matters. That is specifically ring fenced from their remit. 
Okay. If you look at the, K- the UK, they're not asking for journalists like Shane or politicians like you to have absolute oversight. They look at expenditure, administration and policy. So it's not a question of looking at Well, there is, there is parliamentary scrutiny of, of allocation of resources, yeah. including for security. If you look at the estimates, um, discussions in committees... in but there's the, not in about the policy. Well, no, look at the estimates. It is the issue, because in fact, I was on one of those committees where the issue came up about security and the estimate, and there were questions asked about it of the minister. But look, I do agree that we should try to extend the transparency that's there. But you still have to be realistic. And I have to say, you know, Cormac is right. We do. We did have 40 years of, you know, fighting a terrorist threat on our own territory, both north and south. And I suppose that has coloured our approach to this. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Let's put it at its least, uh, at its mildest. So let's just be clear about what exact kind of scrutiny of security we should have. Consistent with, yes, it's an open democracy. We good. should understand. By the way, the French, and look at some of the countries, don't, don't over, uh, don't imagine that there is day-to-day scrutiny in France of exactly what the security forces are doing there at the moment, because no. there just isn't. And, and, okay. and, and let's not imagine that ISIL will win its war or be defeated in its war because Ireland set up parliamentary oversight. Yeah, that's hardly the point. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it, but it's, so it's because so, we don't so matter, we shouldn't down, do the right thing. We should do the I'm right sure thing. That's but, an argument. But, but there's a much bigger issue here, and that is uh, what ISIL is doing and how well, the West let, responds. Let, let's move on to that because the interesting mm. column, a lot of good coverage across the papers today, Sunday Independent, the Sunday Times. Interesting column by, uh, in the Sunday Times, uh, Cormac Bernard, uh, Henri Levy. And he's basically saying, we need to take the fight to ISIL on their home, gr- on their home patch, basically. Yeah. Do you agree with where he's coming from in that one? I can see where he's coming from. He's got a, he's got a great line in it. Uh, when will the President of America realise that faced with an enemy that has declared war on civilization? the time for narcissistic moralising is over. But one of the the slight reservations I'd have with a lot of the media coverage and a lot of the political response to what has gone on is that it's primarily focused on a security response Mm. and it's overlooking the fact that there is clearly a measure of political support for what ISIL does. Even though it's a death cult, it is nihilistic, it is horrible. And... Uh, we need not just to address the symptoms of what ISIL represents in terms of its attacks, but we also need to think hard about what is causing this. And there are, there are odd causes. There's an article on page 14 of the Sunday Times headlined Gay Sex, Drugs, Then Suicidal Slaughter, which describes one of the people involved last week, Salah Abdeslam, smoking joints, uh, in a gay sex bar in the centre of Brussels a month before these attacks. So... Uh, it, it's something beyond Islamic devotion that is driving uh, these attacks. Yeah, because they present a picture that's very different from what we imagine. You know, ISIS's view of our, you know, our our decadence, as they would describe it in the West. I mean, and it may th- just th- be it, it may be partly people at a complete loose end, feeling left out by society, unable to do anything productive in society, then being sort of targeted by these groups and groomed and led down a particular track that ends up with, with suicidal slaughter on the streets of Paris. OK, um, Derval, uh, I mean, what Cormac says is undoubtedly true. There does seem to be these you know, vulnerable young men who are preyed on by ISIL, but that doesn't win the battle. I mean, this argument uh, by, by Bernard uh, Henri Levy about taking the battle to ISIS on their, on their home territory. What, what do you make of that? And that may be in something that, in fact, that they want to actually to draw um, the troops on the ground onto uh, places like Raqqa, because that is where they, you know, the, the caliphate, you know, because that's the difference, so I suppose. the argument, don't do what your enemy wants you to do. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, I think you have to be very careful about where, what response you draw in. I think there's interesting parallels between um, ISIL and when you look at kind of compared to the north and uh, having grown up there. But in its own way, and bear with me when I say this, there was a rationale to the violence that there was in the Troubles. There was an end that they were seeking. The difficulty with ISIL is that you're battling an ideology. You know, so it's very, it's not just like being drawn into a physical war. Um, it's and that's very very difficult. Um, I think to to strategize um, around. I think in, in America in particular, they might be very reluctant after Iraq um, and Afghanistan to put more boots um, on the ground. But um, I think you have to be careful about what it is because if you draw uh, people to, to there and you bomb there, that in fact could, as what happened in Northern Ireland, in fact manufacture um, support and inflame the situation. Minister, I mean this uh, this thing about a war on civilization. I have to admit, you know, I, I kind of change my view on it every day. Some days I think, well, yeah, it probably is a war against civil. And then other days I think that kind of language probably isn't helpful. What, what, what do you think? I have to say I agree with you because that's the way I am as well, to be perfectly honest with you, because, you know, one part of you responds uh, naturally that says this has to be, you know, the, the first duty of any government is to protect its people and secure, make sure that they're secure. And a government has to respond in that way. And that will take the fight to ISIS, in, you know. And in fact, that's already happening. In fact, one of the things that was said last weekend was that perhaps not a reason for the attacks in Paris, but a background to the attacks was that ISIS are actually coming under enormous pressure and already been mm-hmm. uh, bombarded, as it were, uh, in, in the territory where they're, where they're strong. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think a lot of us do recoil a little bit at the language of war. Um, you know, we respect what the f- how the French have responded. Um, they have to, to, to respond and protect their people. But, you know, when you get into this area of war, and Derv is absolutely right, how do you how do you wage a war on an ideology in the sense that we understand and that we understand war? of an ideology. It's not yeah. representative, I think. And on the other hand, is your other point that you that we all kind of go from one to the other. On the other hand, um, you know, it, it has to be addressed. And there has to be a security response and there will be a security response and I think interestingly this week a week or 10 days ago uh, the French were having no truck at all um, with, with Mr Putin and the you know the the uh, support for Assad that may be changing in the course of the week um, so the balance of forces may change now in mm. relation to what how, how the French uh, line up will they line up directly with 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 with, um, with Assad uh, that seems unlikely but there certainly during the week there appeared to be a, a coming together of interest between you know what the Russian are saying what the French are saying and that's understandable because in the at the end even though you might like it at the end people who have the same interests tend to come together okay and just fin- finally be- before we move on minister i mean Look, you, you make the point, and you're, you're quite right to make the point. It's impossible to predict what would happen. You can't guard every every building, but you know you're a government minister, a cabinet minister. It's a position mm. of huge responsibility. Mm. Are you comfortable, insofar as you can be, that everything is being done in terms of a potential, even if it is a low terrorist? Insofar threat? Insofar as one can be, yes. Um, I mean, I have some, um, I suppose, somewhat peripheral responsibility on the communication side. Sure. So I have some involvement in my department has in some of these matters. Well, but communication is a huge issue. The internet, for yeah, example, seems to be absolutely, but not 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 the justice element of it, obviously. But okay. I mean, the, the 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 technical and communications dimension of it, obviously, is within my department. So I have some knowledge of those aspects of it. And you know, comfortable is not a word that I would choose because this is a, an uncertain world. And I don't think, and I mean, Francis, when you asked her the question, was was clear and as clear as any minister can be. But there. We live in an uncertain world and it requires the vigilance and the support uh, of citizens as much as the actions of governments. Now we're going to the Sunday papers with Dervin MacDonald, uh, Alex White and uh, Cormac Lucy. Uh, lots of text coming through to 53106 says, uh, um, uh, coming through to 53106, Herbie and Clancilla says, first war without borders. 
Uh, interesting. I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a good mm. point. Um, uh, Peter in Wicklow says, before we huddle up with Putin, remember the Ukraine, which I think is also a fair mm. point. Why can't internment be introduced to get known God. ISIL supporters off the street and to hell with their civil liberties? Uh, says Maria, well, internment didn't work very well uh, in the 1970s in Northern Ireland. I think that was the point Derva was making. Sometimes you can just... You can uh, manufacture support and, you know... I think the real kind of difficulties with that is is that you're taking a very blunt instrument to target what we're repeatedly told is a very, very small And you're problem. doing what presumably yeah. what your enemy wants and, you and to it, do. What, what happened actually in the North, and it is kind of instructive, is that a lot of people who would have described themselves um, as armchair nationalists in the sense that, the, you know, at that time would have been very, very moved by scenes, whether it was yeah. Bloody Sunday or otherwise, and you can actually galvanise support. And I suspect that that is what ISIL is actually trying to do. You nearly actually need to get into, into their minds and kind of to see their counter strategies to see what they would be trying to do because if the entire Muslim uh, community um, is attacked and really this well, week it I plays think to that if, war, if, if you, war between civilizations. If, if you look at Donald it? Trump this week you know and that whole suggestion that there should be a database of Muslims and the Muslim ID cards and there was a wonderful soldier um, in uh, the American forces who tweeted a picture he said I have a very special Muslim ID card and it was his his uh, his card from the defence forces he was a US yeah. soldier you know Fair but point. I think we have to be very 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 careful about using very very broad and, and look th- we are a country that has been in a state of emergency since 1939 <laughs> you know we still have a non-jury special uh, Supreme Court and the th- they are non-jury um, special criminal court but interesting like when the Minister actually earlier was talking about you know legislation and we now have this new legislation for promoting terrorism with similar legislation for gangland you know and it doesn't actually get used particularly well or particularly often you know so I think you have to in terms of you know legislation without the resources to back it for me is can be very meaningless legislation Uh, let's move on to uh, the bank inquiry lots of coverage uh, across the papers today the Sunday Times leading with a bank inquiry doomed to fail uh, say uh, TDs Cormac Lucy does the uh, the fate of the bank inquiry keep you awake at night it's caused me many sleepless afternoons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, I'll tell you one thing that, that I find quite astonishing on that front page story by Sarah McInerney and Stephen O'Brien. It's that the draft report for the bank inquiry is 750 pages long. Mm. And to me, that just strikes me as uh, intellectual incontinence <laughs> and an incapacity <laughs> to be clear in your thinking yeah. and an incapacity to express yourself clearly. And I'd have thought a 30 to 50 page report that any member of the public would be able to read and have as many appendices as you wish to put the detailed stuff into. But to, to come to the committee with a 750-page report, I think that of itself uh, indicates a poor approach to, to, to this matter. You can imagine the committee members at this stage, they must be losing the will to live, mustn't they? I mean, having to read through those 750... After all, they've been down in that yeah. bunker for, what, seven months now at yeah. this stage? And, and then to have to... If I were them, I'd start again and I'd start with a with a blank sheet of paper and a short report that any member of the public wouldn't feel, you know, could could read in 40 minutes. You know, we're paying five, six million for this and they're going to throw a 750 page report at us that nobody is likely or very, very, very few people are ever likely to fully read. Mm. And I don't think that's acceptable. Uh, Alex White. Well, we don't know yet what the final report will, be, what shape it'll be. No, I mean, and it'll we, have to be digestible. We should say, um, Joe Higgins, 
uh, I mean th- there's a line in his piece where he said it was extremely unlikely he'd be able to sign off yeah. on the final ro- report uh, and he talked he said I think it's an inevitable the official report will reflect the analysis of the majority view of the committee which is the pro-capitalist ideology of the members mm. on that basis I think Joe was probably unlikely to agree yeah. with, with well, whatever w- they came out whatever with. the banking report uh, offers it, it, it won't be the demise of capitalism not the side of Christmas anyway so <laughs> I think that the um, this inquiry is the first of its kind I actually think think that despite all of the criticism of it that I think it has actually worked well within the limits the very real limits mm. that it had I mean you know people are now s- sort of suggesting and Colin McCarthy is not a bad piece in the Sunday Independence today but he's sort of saying creating as it were retrospectively huge expectations that were never legitimately there yeah. in terms of the kind of thing he saw in America and so forth so it will I think it's important but the report Cormac is right needs to be digestible needs to be accessible needs to be easily understood and I think the committee members will work to do that there's a decent group across parts I think they should try to maintain as best they can the Joe Higgins notwithstanding a cross-party approach to this bookend this episode um, in the next few weeks Get, let's get. I mean, most of the th- most of the stuff we know, we have a fair idea yeah. of what happened now at this stage. We've seen the main players being uh, examined before the committee. That was a useful exercise for the country. I mean, leaving aside the politics of it, Fianna Fáil, everything else, let's just bookend this thing now as best we can and have a report that people can read and understand. Jennifer McDonald? I, I wonder what the level of public interest in reading and understanding will be, even if it is subject to a clear English campaign sort of a, a process, um, because I think the public have already factored in um, that there were, we're not going to extract a huge amount uh, from the banking inquiry. And, you know, it did have its limits, um, but as someone who probably actively campaigned against <laughs> the Oroctus Inquiries mm. um, referendum, um, and I still stand by that, you know, mm. I think that... Um, when you look at what did it achieve look for me now actually it's not even so much we knew we weren't going to get about the banking inquiry but when you look now and there's some coverage of it in the papers you know um, uh, Chopper from the the IMF saying that the the ECB that's the phase I want to actually have you know kind of fully interrogated and he's saying Mm -hmm. that you know we we got a horrendous deal out of that that the ECB acted in the interests of the ECB at the expense of Ireland and Mm -hmm. that's what I would actually like now full accountability on but there there is no point that when it came to accountability of the banking crisis. We are not going to have what we have um, in the US of naming names. And w- what actually Colm does in his report is w- to Which might be no bad thing yeah. though. I mean, Colm McClusey, I think one of the things the bank, and I was a cynic about it, I think one of the things it did succeed in doing was it kind of it, it dispelled this simplistic notion that it all revolved around the night of the bank guarantee. And if only mm-hmm. some magic wand had been waved that night, things would have been much better. Mm-hmm. I actually thought it nailed that myth. Mm-hmm. It did, and I think it did some very good work in hearing a lot of witnesses or taking statements mm. from many other witnesses who wouldn't have been known to the public before. Mm. And there have been some genuine revelations in the course of that. But two areas where I think they they fell down. Number one, in determining, their in their scoping exercise mm. to work out how they would approach this work, they relied heavily, I understand, on the Department of Finance, the ESRI mm. and the Central Bank. You know, that's like... Uh, the Gardaí consulting the murderer uh, mm. in a murder inquiry. Well, not quite. Well, I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. These are bodies yeah. charged. You know, the central bank I, has responsibility for financial yeah, stability, yeah, yeah. and and they're all bodies. None of them gave a clear warning, uh, and I would have excluded them from that exercise. And the mm. second and more fundamental reservation I'd have about their their work is, it has portrayed the crisis in Ireland 
as if it were a national crisis with mm. national causes. And it really has spent little time, as Dervil yeah. said, Look looking at the, at the broader, broader international context. context. And mm. when international media coverage of this issue mm. takes place, it is in the context of the Eurozone crisis, mm. not the Irish crisis. OK, um, just want to touch on another story uh, that uh, I think it's in the Sunday Independent, James Riley uh, calling for appeal of the uh, Eighth Amendment. Alex White, that, I mean, that is Labour Party policy, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Uh, Labour Party policy and uh, policy uh, that we will uh, pursue if we're uh, involved in the next government. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's good. I welcome very much what James has said. I was, I, I th- actually was aware of his views, but I haven't seen them in, in, in print in, in as clearly. I welcome that very much, and also what France has had to say. Um, is I think is that a majority view in Finnegan? I mean, I know you're I, not I a member don't of know that. Yeah. I, I don't know that. I know there would be a lot, a lot of people perhaps, he perhaps opposed to. But one of the things about the, the people I find in politics, it's very interesting. And I saw this during the X case, and I actually you know, negotiated the X case. Um, uh, outcome as it were the legislation with James when I was in the Department of Health and one of the things that a, l- a lot of politicians people generally in society kind of sometimes need time to come round to is that they know that something like fatal fetal abnormality, abnormality somebody faced with a pregnancy of, of, of that kind should be entitled to a termination in their own country and that's the feeling of the vast majority of people it seems to me that I ever meet but they, to make the link between that and repealing the Eighth Amendment people have problems with that now in my view you will have to repeal the Eighth Amendment. You will have to repeal the Eighth yeah. Amendment if you are going to have a law that will provide for terminations in the case, even even in the case of a fatal fetal. The fate, worry fate, people, people on the, you know, even moderate people who wouldn't yeah. describe as, themselves as pro-life, the worry they would have is say, yeah. if you repeal it, then you potentially open the door well, here's the point for abortion on, that. on demand. Here's the That's point what on, they would say. Here's the point on that. You can open the door. You, the Oireachtas will have to make the laws. But bear in mind, if there was, the Eighth Amendment was, was repealed next week... We wouldn't be left in a vacuum. We would have the most draconian abortion law in the developed world. Because don't forget, the 1861 Act was effectively repeated in the law that we brought in two years ago, apart from the the X case situation. It could very easily changed via legislation. Well, exactly. But sure, legislation, we should deal with these issues by legislation. That's why we have a parliament. That's why we elect people to a parliament. And the problem with the 1983 amendment was that it tied the hands of a parliament. Now, of course, it's a complex issue and people would be concerned about what what the new laws might be if the current one were replaced. But we have to have, we talk about trust earlier. If we're going to have a parliamentary democracy, we have to rely on our parliamentarians to represent us and to do the right thing. And I very much welcome what James Riley has said here and what others in Fine Gael think. And we would hope to persuade more people in the next government, if we're in it, to come, ab- to come along and to repeal the Eighth Amendment. Cormac Clancy, last well, well, I'd, I'd agree with, with what uh, everything Alex has said and, and what Derville said before. Oh, are we, do, we, do we all feel that a referendum is inevitable in the, the next doll? I think it is if we're going to fix the problem of the fate of people and yeah. uh, abnormalities. Does, I don't think there's any way around and, and that. And his, his, James Riley's views are quite nuanced in the sense that um, he indicates that, that he believes... Like, I, I think you have to repeal it if you're going to have any discussion around even the very limited circumstances of fetal, fetal abnormalities. He has expressed a concern um, around extending that to uh, victims of rape, in part because um, there is a criminal law dimension um, to that, mm. and that is kind of quite complex. I think that um, we are going to have to repeal it um, and you know what What the Taoiseach and others have said is oh well you can't you know um, repeal and remove the 8th unless you um, know what to replace it with. There has been a lot of discussion, a lot of papers, a lot of conversation about it. I'm going to make a suggestion for this. I, I did a seminar last week on the, the outcomes of the Constitutional Convention of which I was quite sceptical initially but I did go to the weekend on the same-sex marriage referendum and what was striking about that forum was that 
uh, they had experts in, uh, people were spoken to, uh, the issues were highlighted in a very kind of compassionate yet dispassionate way and it was wonderful just to watch the way that that came about and I think that you know a lot of women the fe- the women who suffered uh, fetal fetal abnormalities were excluded outright from any discussions on the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act I think we need a constitutional convention style forum or seminar that you can bring people together get all of the expertise to prevent this Could kind of divided debate Could we not just trust our politicians to do it and is that not well, the, the, the politicians way? were part of that process but okay. I actually think what, right. uh, what the same sex marriage referendum showed is that you can actually trust the public to have difficult conversations. Okay, welcome back to this uh, Sunday show. Shane Coleman with you until noon today. Uh, my guests are uh, Dirk MacDonald, Alex White and Cormac Lucy. We're going through this Sunday papers. Uh, another Red Sea uh, poll in this Sunday business post. Fine Gael at 31%, up one. Labour at seven. I think the same. Fianna Fáil 19, down one. Sinn Féin 18, Independence and others 25%. Minister, that Labour figure, 7%, it's worrying. I mean, I have to put it to you. Um, if Labour were at 7%, you probably wouldn't hold your seat, would you? No, I, I probably wouldn't, no. But it's a 13% figure in Dublin. Um, now, in a three-seater like where I am, 13% wouldn't get you a seat. No, I'd um, say a quota would be, what, 25%? 25%. If you, you want to be sort of, you want to have 20% wouldn't want to be too far away, if you know what I mean. You could might get it in the mid-teens, 17, 18, depending on how the things f- fell on the first count. But 13% in Dublin would probably keep us a seat in most Dublin constituencies and that's what this poll is saying 7% nationally very disappointing yes we are struggling in the polls but one of the things that Pat Lee he says in his analysis of the poll today in the Sunday Business Post is that most people he says have yet to switch on to the approaching election and I have to say that that is in my experience on the door on the proverbial doors is in fact borne are, out are people almost saying people, what are you doing a little bit door? of that I mean people are engaged with politics engaged with what's going on in their own lives obviously and their own material circumstances but as to the you know switched on to an election they're not and I think people will I, I obviously I hope but when, when people are switched on to an election it will be about choosing a government it will be about choosing a government and I think that's that will help Fine Gael will it well, help Labour well I think it will I think it will help both gov- uh, government parties because the decision is between uh, a government which would be um, made up of the two existing government parties or something else which is completely uh, impossible to understand what that might be now it may well be that that's what ends up happening in the next doll that it will be next to you know impossible to form a government I mean that's conceivable I mean this thing could actually take I dare, I'm sorry Quite to say time. this on a Sunday morning as a government minister, but this could take a couple of elections for the Doyle to be able to actually reach a majority, whoever's in it, whether we're in it or not. I hope that's so not the case. So vote for Labour if you want kind of security well, and stability. Vote for Labour. Vote for Labour certainly if you want a continuation of the lot of the, a lot of the policies that we have actually ensured happened in the course of this government. And vote for Labour to ensure that you have balance in the next government. Absolutely. I mean, people are talking about uh, you know the the alternative. Is there an alternative? I mean, I know the other the opposition are not here, so you might not want me to go on too much about them, but. I mean, this is a week where we saw Paul Murphy say that the property tax campaign was over because he had paid it because he sold a property where Sinn Féin um, removed respon- their own responsibility for welfare and sent it to Westminster so that there could be welfare cuts in the north, but their fingerprints wouldn't be on it. And where Fianna Fáil have decided that they're not going to be in government unless um, their man is Taoiseach. And we all know that's not going to happen. So that's the opposition that we're facing. One, two, three. Where is that going to bring us? So I think certainly people will switch on to an election. I think we'll do better than the, the I hope, but I think we'll do better than the polls are showing. Um, A figure of 13% on today's poll is not bad in Dublin. We need to get a lift on that for people like me if I'm to be re-elected, but it's not as they say, it's not all about me, but it's about trying to get as many seats as we can for the Labour Party and provide balance in a, a new government. Cormac Lucy, Fine Gael at 
they're within shouting distance of what they got in the last general election. And if they got that in this coming general election, there's a very real chance they could um, be in government on their own. I mean, people seem to dismiss this. Jack O'Connor was dismissed for, for saying um, there could be a possibility of a Fine Gael overall majority. But it's not that outlandish, is it? It's not that outlandish. And especially when, when you reflect on what Alex has said, that uh, a lot of people haven't made any decision or haven't really begun to think about the election. But if you compare this poll to the poll in June, which is shown in the graphics, Fine Gael are up 3%. So it wouldn't be a stretch to imagine that they could be up another 3%. Particularly if, if there's an election where Enda Kenny is seen as the only viable option to be Taoiseach. Correct. And if they got up to, you know, near 35% and they were facing a very broken field of other, you know, if you had Fianna Fáil on about 20%, Sinn Féin on about 20%, uh, others yeah, on about I mean, 20%. I heard Leo Varadkar saying you'd need to be at 43-44% to get an overall majority. Mm-hmm. No, you wouldn't if the electorate is completely fragmented and split across a whole rake of parties. Correct. You see, you could have a sort of a, a, an almost mathematical impossibility scenario that, that could just see them squeak in on maybe just below 40 So should Labour do what your old boss, Mike McDool, didn't he climb a lamppost, <laughs> a single party government, <laughs> no, no, thanks. Uh, no thanks? Is that what the Labour strategy should be? Well, That's I think the, the, I think the Labour strategy be. should be to uh, advertise their solid performance in government and... And then maybe in the last week to, to come up with a message like that to say, you know, if you want that performance to continue, you have to vote for us. Otherwise, we'll be gone. I'm just thinking of what could have been, what government might have been in place had they actually gone early. I think it, it would have been, been this weekend. We would weekend. have been counting the votes this um, weekend. Yeah. I, I think people are holding um, far. I think they're not really engaged. I think it's only really when it gets closer to the election that people uh, could become engaged. And, uh, you know, if you look at what happened in Britain, you know, the, the that huge kind of swing and, and the media getting it so wrong, who knows? You know, and I think that, you know, certainly... Fianna Fáil are talking themselves out of existence nearly by ruling them, you know, sales out and saying, except if it, you know, if it's Taoiseach and everything, there, you know, pe- people are going to to weigh that up. I think they will kind of weigh that up. It, interesting, the supports for the independents and the anti-austerity parties have stabilised, if not started, you know, um, to drop. And I think that as long as the economy is doing well, that will um, keep a lid as such on that um, and I think that strategically they're keeping big issues out of the way until after the general election and that includes Irish water So go on uh, all of you call call the next <gasps> government what, what do you I mean Alex you're obviously going to say Fine Gael and Labour I presume I think that'll happen OK Cormac Lucy uh, Fine Gael Fianna Fáil Really? OK mm-hmm. interesting Derville yeah, I think after long, torturous, terrible negotiations that could go on for <laughs> weeks and weeks and weeks, um, I think it could be uh, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, but I think that we it may take a couple of um, electoral cycles. What I do hope there will be will be lots more women in the doll when it There's happens. There's only one way to stop those awful scenarios, both Cormac and uh, Derville, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm with Alex White. I think it'll be Fine Gael, Labour and maybe a few independents. OK, my thanks to uh, Derville MacDonald, to Alex White and uh, Cormac Lucy.